0: This,
1: uh, this is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London, London Is Blue, is Blue podcast.
0: podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon Joe Dan, Nick, still on vacation, enjoying his time in Mexico. But uh, Dan, we've got a Matt Law special. Great timing after our second leg against Spurs, as we all know, Matt covering Tottenham much more closely in the last couple of years. So uh, this would be a, a professional Matt Law derby, you could say.
2: Well
1: yeah yeah we, yeah, I we planned this
2: right you know we, uh, <laughs> we were gonna do it last week but now we got the full experience of uh putting tottenham in their place to to bring you in for i think this is great
1: yeah i mean you really did as well because i i i've got to say i didn't actually think chelsea were very good last night and yet they were comfortable agreed
0: <laughs> we talked about that in our so. match review as well um with, with DPC, but it's good, yeah. So, look, the, we're going to be touching on the fact that Chelsea advanced in both the League Cup and FA Cup. We can't forget we're in both cup competitions, and then updates on the club's January plans for player acquisitions and obviously the ongoing contract situations with current players. So, if we kick it off, uh, to you know, Dan again, Chelsea rounding into form, it was a tough, pretty much December for the club. Uh, we're kind of limping into the new year. All of a sudden, we've gotten some results in advancing the cup competitions. I think as a Chelsea fan, starting to get a little bit of confidence again in the squad.
2: Yeah, I think the confidence is key. And, and you know, I think, Matt, uh, you know, I think as you said it, you know, maybe Chelsea were better in the the first half of the, <laughs> of the first match uh, and then had an opportunity to go a little bit on cruise control against the Tottenham side that really just don't resemble something that we've come to know from Antonio Conte which is a side that likes to make you suffer uh, it's more like making the supporters of Tottenham suffer
1: <laughs> yeah i mean look the the gap the gap's startling now between those two squads i mean i i looked at the benches before the game and the benches were just incomparable you know it's ridiculous you know you you guys had quite a few of your stars on the bench you know tiago Silva and gola kante and there was just nothing on their bench. And your bench was worth sort of north of 200 million. And that's including an academy graduate. It's including Marcus Bettinelli. Um, it, the, the golfing class was just ridiculous. And like I say, the second leg, I actually thought Chelsea were were worse than average. I really didn't think they're p- particularly good at all for most of the game. And yet it, it was cruise control. And the, the first leg, Chelsea should have really put it out of sight. It should have been, you know, gone after the first leg. So, yeah, the gap's massive. You could see that, that Conte knows the gap's massive and it's been quite dispiriting for him, I think. I think it's been quite a shock for him. I think from the outside, he, he maybe thought that Tottenham weren't at the level, but were a bit closer than, than what they are. And I think it's been a real wake-up call for him, these these two Chelsea games. I mean, funnily enough, Tottenham actually did quite well against Liverpool in the league and, and drew the game and, and should have won the, the game. But against Chelsea, it's just really brought it home, and it's been the, the sort of toughest of toughest of lessons for for Conte.
0: So you know we talked about it a little bit, but it I, I was kind of surprised. Well, how about this? I think Ch- Spurs didn't force Chelsea to be better on the day, right? We were going in up two nothing in the second leg, and Spurs just didn't seem to have the urgency. So I think Chelsea just kind of sat back and waited, and it didn't really come. But I mean, in possession. We had 89% pass accuracy, but it seemed like we were a little bit sloppy or just not really like up to go bury them. Uh, the the back goal scored by Rudiger, but do you think it's an accumulation of? It's been a long six weeks. Uh, we've had a lot of injuries, a lot of minutes on players um, because Tuchel post match said unacceptable, 100% 100% of the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuchel wasn't happy. I was watching him on the bench a lot, and he was he was screaming at Mason Mount in particular a lot. He had a bee in his bonnet on Mason Mount. Last night, there's, it's actually funny with Tuchel that the more I watch him, there usually be one player in a game who really, who really gets it. And last night was Mason's turn, and he was really getting it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know whether it's cruising. I think I think it's a a little bit of everything. I think there is an element of cruise control. I think there's an element of the amalgamation of games. And I still don't think I know the draw against Liverpool felt good, and it was good because it was a comeback. But I still haven't seen a convincing Chelsea performance for a little while now. Certainly a 90-minute performance. Seems Probably Juventus. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's going back a bit now, isn't it? Um, we've seen 45-minute performances and we've seen sort of 60-minute performances and we've seen spirited performances. But I, I, I'm still not convinced they've, they've quite got it back yet. Um, still doesn't quite look right to me.
0: Well, Dan, not only that, we've also advanced to the FA Cup as well with the win over Chesterfield. And then we had that, the stat that was at 350 days. Tuchel's essentially qualified for the final of every single tournament domestically and internationally. Um, at least advancing the FA Cup, getting another favorable draw uh, in that competition. Uh, a little bit of the cup momentum, I think, is is starting to take place.
2: Well, it's rarefied Chelsea air that he's uh, breathing in at this point uh, compared to uh, managers who have not had uh, even a similar success across uh, kind of multi-year campaigns or uh, don't make it that long because uh, Roman Abramovich is unhappy with it. And so, I mean, I think to that point, Matt, I, I, I just I'm continue to be impressed by Tuchel's management in the single or double elimination Type fixtures, And to me, I think that's what probably, you know, where the league is very challenging because of cities' dominance and, you know, these, you know, FA Cup, League Cup, Club World Cup, um, even the Champions League. I just feel like Tuchel gives you a shot to be competitive in every single one of those more than maybe any one player in this Chelsea side with the way that he can man manage a singular game.
1: I think it's also a demonstration of the strength of the squad because... These Cup games, even with injuries and even with COVID, Chelsea are able to put out very even when they're resting players and things, very, very strong lineups. You know, stronger, stronger than Liverpool. Liverpool don't have the depth. Certainly stronger than anyone like Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, stronger than well, we know Manchester United's problems. Only really Manchester City can can sort of um rival them in terms of strength of squad. And actually, although City are are better and still some way better. I I think if you actually went through the strength of the whole squad, I think there's an argument that Chelsea actually maybe even have more options across the pitch than than Man City. So I think that the Cups suit Chelsea because of that. They can always put an extremely strong side out. I think you're right. I think Tuchel has has a flair and has a knack for the Cup competitions. And I also think, there's an element that the players are, it's a bit of a cup team in a way, you know we saw it in the Champions League last season when when they focus and when they put their minds to it, they can beat anybody. It's the consistency and it's the ability to go and go and go and go and go, which they haven't quite shown yet because we haven't seen it in a league campaign yet when they they will still have these dodgy months and dodgy patches like we've just seen. But yet in a cup competition and, and put them in any game and if you can focus them for a game, and focus them on a task, i.e. getting through a round, that's probably no better.
0: We, You can definitely see that the way the season ended last year, <laughs> flying yeah. in the Champions League, stumbling uh, our way kind of to the end, uh, West Brom being the huge thorn in the side. Is there anyone that surprised you in terms of depth, uh, Matt, that maybe you're you're surprised that they're playing as well as they are? Uh, we talked a little bit about Malang Saar last night being a free transfer in. Had no expectations on being involved in the squad. You know, he—I think he was at an airport ready for his loan move, and things fell through. Um, but there's a lot of different players. You know, Callum's been playing as wing back. But in general, is there is the depth surprised you this season? Because I feel like we walked into this season with it was not the deck of cards that Tuchel and the club I think had wanted. Some things didn't go our way, um, and at the end, we kind of said, "Oh, here's the deadline. I guess this is our squad.
1: Let's make it work." Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I mean, look, I know I, this isn't really relevant to, to last night, but um, Sol Neguez, for instance, has suddenly shown a value to the squad. And, you know, not everybody's terrified to see Sol Niguez's name on the team sheet now or, or having to come on. And that that could be a major plus for the second half of the season when you look at all the cup competitions that Chelsea are still in. Even if Saul isn't going to... Um, become a first-team starter in the Premier League or or even a first-team starter in the Cups, I think he's going to actually have quite an important role over the second half of the season. The Club World Cup come in, a very, very tight fixture list still, and then just this amalgamation of Cup and League. I, I do see him playing quite an important role, whether it be from the bench or whether it be starting some games. And I actually think we could end up at the end of the season saying that that wasn't a bad loan. What, what looked like a bit of a disaster I still think has got the possibility to end up a decent loan because, let's face it, we we hoped for better, but also um, he was basically brought in as, as a four, kind of fourth-choice midfielder. And if over the second half of the season he can prove to be that and a bit better, then he'll have actually done what he was brought in to do. Um, so I think there's that. Malang Sarr has surprised me as well because the first couple of times I saw Malang Sarr, I was worried about him and it, it's credit to him and credit to two courts management that he quickly came through that. And he's not just done well. I mean, he's done well in a variety of positions now, you know, he played left back last night. He's played in a back four, uh, in the first leg, which worried me at the start of that game and, and was not a cause for worry in the end. And obviously he can play on the left side of the back three. So he's given options. He's covered injuries. Um, and t- again, as well, Timo's back now that they were missing Timo. I still think, look, I, we, we had a big chat about Timo on one of these and I, I, I stand by it. Timo's not going to score goals, you know, he's not going to score many goals. And I, I think we do have to give up on that. And I certainly gave up on that when I sort of wrote, wrote that piece. And if one day he proves me wrong, brilliant and I'll hold my hands up. But he still gives something to the team. He still, he still is useful. He still uh, is valuable so and then of course Kepper Kepper's come in and you know touchwood so far I know it was a little bit hairy on the on the cane goal that was disallowed last night um but Kepper's come in and it, it's not sent shivers through people it's not the defense hasn't fallen apart as a result because they look worried and and whatnot and and again testament to Sauko's management so yeah I think there's there's a lot of encouraging squad signs there
0: well uh dan we can add one to the depth chart tiago silva extending his contract so we might as well look at what business has already been done by the club uh and benjamin button of football is too cool to put it <laughs> will be with us another year and thankfully he'll bring bell and the family because they are wonderful
1: i mean he's he's just been an unbelievable signing an unbelievable signing i mean if you just said to me at the start that he would he would be here for a third year and, you know, going looking forward to a third year and playing at the level he's playing and become the sort of hero that he's become. I mean, watching him last night on the pitch with the fans at the end when he was kind of directing their singing and he stood clapping them for absolutely ages as they 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 sang his name. I mean, look, if I was a Chelsea fan, I I genuinely think he'd be my favourite player right now. I think I would absolutely love him. He, he would just be someone I I idolised, I think, if I was an actual supporter. Um, an unbelievable, unbelievable signing, unbelievable person to have around, unbelievable player. Um, I don't know what else you can say. I mean, I've said it before as well. And again, not being a Chelsea fan, I don't really feel qualified to say this, but is he going to end his Chelsea career as Chelsea's best ever free transfer sign-in? potentially i don't know
2: matt one of the questions that i had was just you know in terms of his contract you know chelsea've added these like and one options you know we saw it with drew where we know people like oh okay it's in drew's contract well wait a minute actually there's a club option to extend for a year is tiago's a little bit more straightforward where it's just one year and then we'll table a conversation for a later time
1: yeah it's just one year one year one year the 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 I suppose the only surprising factor of it was is that they did it kind of so early in the season because it it had always been the impression of mine that they would just cover themselves against any sort of serious injury or serious drop-off because of his age. But clearly, I mean, Tuchel absolutely adores him, I can tell you for absolute... I mean, it's it's obvious, you don't need me to tell you that. But the way he talks about him when you do manage to get two minutes away from a microphone with, with with Tuchel. He he just adores him. I mean, I know he he kind of says his only, he thinks it's probably a regret of Thiago Silva's now that he didn't come to the Premier League a little bit earlier in his career because he could have probably become actually a Premier League legend, not just a bit of a, a Chelsea sort of legend. Um, and I also wonder whether they did it early as a bit of a sign to the others. You know, I always look for politics in football and stories behind stories. And, you know, when you've got players like Andreas Christensen dragging their he- heels and messing the club around a little bit, um, not so much be, and then you've got the Rudy situation. I just wonder whether there was an element of, let's let's do this one. Tiago wants to commit. Let's do it. And it would, maybe it would just send a little message out. You know, here is the ultimate professional. Here is the guy whos who's been at the absolute top of the game for ages. Um, he's willing to do it. You know, what are you willing to do, guys? And, and watch the love he gets as well. You know, the other, the other players will see it. The other players will see last night that the fans going mad for him. And that's built also on the fact that he's extended his contract. And I can't believe that people like Christensen and Riddiger don't look at that and think, that wow, well, you know, they'd be doing that. If, they sign, if I sign the contract, they'll be doing that for me. You, you get an element of hero worship from it. And I, I just, I don't know this at all. I have an element of theory that there's a little political element to doing that early to send out a little message and show a little message to the other guys as well. And if, if so, I think it's, it's actually wise to, I think it's a good move.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all saw the push notification from the Chelsea fist stand up about, and a defender extending. And I think we all skeptically looked at it like, okay, it's, it's not one of the big two. So is Uh it Aspie or Silva? But look, I think we're all delighted to see that it was Silva. Obviously, Uh, as we've talked about, it was just a matter of time. uh, Not if, which is great, but there's, other defenders out of contract so we're going to take our ad break when we're back we're going to jump right into rudiger christensen aspie and see where all of them are at so thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the show we'll be right back dan 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 dan
2: Let's get into it. Let's get into the conversation, Mister mean, like Rudiger. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, Matt uh, Rudiger. We've seen the reports out of Spain. We see reports out of France, but you know, Germany. You're, you're the guy in the know. I mean, that's that's the situation. You know, you're the you're the top source for all Chelsea supporters. And you know, is there a signal the market? isn't ready for the wages that Rudiger is looking for? And is this a chance that Chelsea has to swoop and save now on potentially keeping him here at the club with Tuchel's post-match interview last night that talked about what, what we could offer him in terms of a club and in a Chelsea
1: shirt? Yeah, look, I, I, I always said, didn't I, that this month is the key month of whether these offers arrive and, and what happens. And this time last month, Real Madrid was looking, you know, very, very sort of uh, possible, shall we say. I mean, I came on here, Real Madrid players were, were definitely talking about the fact that that they had had conversations with Rüdiger and left in no doubt that Rüdiger was joining them. Since then, Real Madrid have been briefing to Spanish journalists that they've gone cool on him. Now, I'm a bit wary of this because you always get political games around these things and the money that's being taught, whether Real Madrid trying to do other deals um, as well as Rüdiger. And obviously having all this money talked about Rüdiger doesn't help them negotiate other things. Whether they're in contract negotiations with their current squad and having all this Rüdiger stuff out in the public domain, again, causes them a problem. I think that's all stuff you need to sort of bear in the back of your head when you read that Real Madrid have apparently called. But they're saying they have called, um, which is definitely pricked up Chelsea's interest. And while we know that foreign clubs have definitely been in touch with Rudiger's camp, which is obviously completely above board and and their prerogative, it doesn't feel like yet there's been that firm, firm, massive offer to sort of blow any chance of him staying at, at Chelsea out the water. So I think Chelsea are, let's say, tentatively encouraged at this stage. Um, I do think there'll be a bit of back and forth here. I think we'll have stories that, oh, it's coming close to Chelsea's way, and then I think we'll probably have stories that it's going further away from Chelsea, and it might come back in, but the offers I don't think are quite there yet, and that, that gives Chelsea a glimmer of hope, for sure. I mean, the problem Chelsea have got, which just isn't going to go away unless Rudiger literally doesn't get an offer, which I can't believe he won't get any offer, is that Chelsea offered £140,000 a week or or thereabouts, and and Rudiger said no to that. He wants a basic salary of of around £200,000 a week, which doesn't seem, that doesn't seem too bad. You know, that seems like sort of fair market value. The the difficulty is this signing on fee business. You know, if he moves to another club, he will get a signing on fee that's so huge that will actually end up, and these signing on fees are paid within a wage. They're not just... You know, a player isn't just given 40 million euros or 30 million euros. It goes on to his wage. So that's how they calculate it. So with the signing on fee, those wages as a weekly wage will look more like somewhere near 400,000 pounds a week. That's the part Chelsea have got a problem on because it's highly irregular for a club to pay a player they already have to sign a new contract. A signing on fee anywhere near that level, they might give them a loyalty bonus, but loyalty bonuses are generally absolutely nowhere near the figures we're talking about that that Rüdiger could could earn on a signing on bonus. Now, I would imagine Rüdiger's demands from other clubs would be bigger than they are from Chelsea. So, he, but it's also his last chance to earn one of these sort of huge paydays. So, to get it over the line, Chelsea are going to have to do something creative on that because I can't see him just giving it up completely. That's, that's where the issue lies. The basic salary, I don't think, is the issue. I think the, the signing on fees are the issue. But, yes, I, I think Ch- Chelsea have taken some encouragement uh, from the fact that that Real Madrid have seemed to have taken a little step back and there doesn't seem to be that, that thing on the table that Rüdiger's camp have been able to go to Chelsea and say, we've got this and unless you match this, it's not happening.
0: I mean, he's gone from strength to strength, you know, from month to month. I uh, love scoring against Tottenham. Um, but we'll kind of see. I mean, I think we're just kind of waiting for it to shake out.
1: Uh, Do you know what? Just to just to interrupt on that, sorry. Uh, w- one thing that I think will will work in his favor and might, might persuade Chelsea to go a little bit higher than they were maybe willing to go is um, his comfort in a back four. I know he hasn't been tested that much against against Tottenham in the back four. But that's always been a little sort of doubt at the back of my mind. Is he he a specialist left-sided centre-back in a back three? Is is he so specialist that you can't pay the ridiculous money because he's literally a one-position player? And fairness to Rüdiger, he has shown he's not. He's played on the right side of of a two in a back four, and he's had Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in Europe for the last... Decade in his pocket, so that is another string to Ridiger's bow and another string to his negotiating position. But I would also have thought Chelsea would maybe look at that and think, okay, maybe he's worth a little bit more than than perhaps what we were thinking, because maybe this isn't just a guy who's only here for one system and one position. That and did those Tottenham games, I think, are actually quite key for Rüdiger in improving that, and it's it's good for Chelsea. You know, Chelsea played a back four. Three times under Tuchel and not conceded a goal.
0: I think the big concern too is just like if you have to bring in a replacement, there's gonna be a significant drop off. And it's not to their fault whoever comes in. It's just he has such a stranglehold and is so comfortable and is playing so well that it I think I think it's just a, a FOMO thing. You know, which tells fans right now, it's like, man, if Rudiger leaves, like I don't know if we can get someone back at, at that level right now. You know, you could say the tackle was a little rash last night that um, was just outside the box, you know. But other than that, he's really not putting a foot wrong. Um, and his he's getting involved in the attack as well. So, again, he's just super well-rounded, super involved. Um, so the gist what, is- I,
1: what I would say, and I know, please don't let people think that I'm comparing him to these guys as a man, as a player. But we've seen plenty of instances at lots of different clubs. We've seen it with Willian at Chelsea. We've seen it with Ozil at Arsenal. We've seen at Aubameyang recently at Arsenal. Where when you're in the eye of the storm with with a contract situation, with a player playing well, who's a big player at the club, it can seem impossible to do anything but give the player what they want. And there's been a lot of examples where history has shown it not always to be the correct decision.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, And that's why I think... This kind of FOMO and this sometimes hysteria of all the clubs finished or marinas this and marinas that if they don't get this deal done you've got to just pay him what he wants. You've got to take everything into consideration. And like I say, I, I want to stress that I'm not comparing him to Abamyang. I'm not comparing him to Ursl or William. You know, it, everybody's different. But if you think the eye of those storms, and I've covered those stories closely, even though I don't cover Arsenal closely, I covered the Abamiang story closely. If you'd have said to a single Arsenal fan, the best thing to do is not give Aubameyang that contract, they would have ripped your head off and you would be castigated as an absolute fool. And yet here we are, sort of however long gone, and it's proven to have been a terrible decision. And similarly, William, and I've been back to this on the really good point before, the, the year William went, it, it, everybody thought it was a poor decision on Chelsea's part. Not to get that done. So the eye, it's hard sometimes to see the bigger picture the eye of the storm. Yes, you might lose out in the short term. Yes, it's hard to see how they could find anybody who could come in and immediately play at the Rüdiger level Rüdiger's play in. But you could find someone who's 22, 23, who gives you eight years an extremely good level, which Rüdiger, because of his age, can't give you.
0: OK, and Marina did just win, like, top football executive of the year. So I guess there's trust there, too. So <laughs> uh, We'll see how this shakes out. But Dan, again, center back number two on the transfer block.
2: Well, man, it feels like a, a bit of a push-pull conversation, right? When you, ta- you, know, you talk about Rüdiger, but you don't talk about Rüdiger in a bubble because the Christensen situation is still there as well. And you've got links to barcelona you know we've got man you know his agents changing in in things of that nature where do you see that one is he further out the door now than he's ever been in terms of resigning
1: this is the one where i've got to say i, I i'm i'm slightly in the dark at the moment i think a lot of people are it's gone very quiet around i said this last time we spoke to him and it's remained very quiet around him I suspect not an awful lot's changed. If I'm honest with you, I suspect not an awful lot, uh, has as, differed. Maybe um, his
0: representation.
1: Yeah. Although his <laughs> representation is interesting because I'm not convinced that I think that might be more his marketing and PR representation than his actual football representation. I suspect his football representation will remain very firmly in the hands of his father. Um, I don't get the impression he will have ditched his father, so I suspect the change in representation might be a slight red herring. I think that's more to do with with PR and marketing. However, if you're changing agents to try and up your PR and marketing, it shows what you what people are telling you about yourself, what you think of yourself, and you're trying to you're trying to get a bigger profile for yourself. You're trying to make a bigger name for yourself, and that could include moving clubs to become a sort of big new signing for another club. That's just speculation. But the the one thing that you can be sure on is the club still can't be impressed by him and his representatives because, you know, he was, he was close to signing twice to put pressure on him. It doesn't seem to have worked. He might still sign, but it has gone very quiet, very, very quiet.
2: You know, the the other one then is, you know, to round out our, our center back conversation is Azpilicueta as well. You know, he's uh, gotten increased minutes with Rhys James being out injured, um, but also running down the clock there as well. Uh, is there a cash strap side that, you know, if that's looking to bring him in on a, a free and offer him a, one of those wage packages you're talking about, or is it something where, he's now seeing that there's an opportunity to be involved and get some football in and might not want to destabilize his life.
1: Uh, look, I'm told the interest from Barcelona and Atletico Madrid is is legitimate um, and that there is interest from those clubs and those are two clubs who who could be in the mix. I'm, I'm also told that no decision on Aspi, from Aspi's side, has been made that it's still very, very 50-50 in terms of what he will decide to do. I think he will give it a bit longer. He had a spell out the team where he was sitting on the bench a lot, where obviously a lot of stories started to then pop up that maybe he was deciding he would go. But of course Reese James's injury has brought and other injuries has brought him right back into that team again. He's looking forward to another final with the club. It, you know, he could finish this season on an amazing high still. But I am assured that nothing's nothing's actually sort of edging each way or the other way. I think Aspi's just taking things as they come at the moment. The only thing I do know for sure is that the Barcelona and Atletico Madrid interest in him is legitimate, um, and he would suit both of those clubs. I would be surprised with Aspi if it became a financial decision. Um, I think it's more likely to be a lifestyle and playing decision, I think Chelsea's problem could be that a Barcelona or Atletico Madrid, because the Spanish league's a bit slower and because they can pick him up on a free transfer, might be willing to give him a three-year contract. I, I can't see Chelsea giving him a three-year contract, maybe one with an option or a push two because he's been such an incredible servant. I can't see Chelsea giving him a three-year contract. And obviously, if he gets to the end of two years at Chelsea he probably won't have options like Barcelona and Atletico and Madrid knocking on the door at that stage. I think that's where the issue may lie with Chelsea. But like I said, I would stress that I'm I'm told nothing is is decided on Aspi, um, but he will have options. He will have good options. You know, it's Chelsea or another very top club. And like I said, the lifestyle will come into it too. You know, he is, <laughs> I don't need to tell everyone, he is Spanish. He, he, you know, and ending his career at Barcelona or Atletico Madrid and moving back to Spain at at some stage could could be appealing to him.
0: Even though we all assume he's so well uh, acclimated to London with his his language and and I'm sure you know how much he's been in the city. He's been here a long time, so it'll be sad if it comes to an end. Uh, But as we always have outgoings, we're always looking at incomings as well. And you know Chillwell being the biggest injury now Reese being out for you know at least a short period, uh, it seems like obviously a lot of a lot of eyes on the wing back specifically the le- the left side and Emerson Palmieri coming back or signing someone like Dest or whatever, um, or maybe a generalist like Dust. Um, but I tell you what we won't do, Matt, is we won't sign Dinier. Luca Dinier snapped mm-hmm. up off the list thanks to your Villa. Busy January for Villa, we should
1: say. Yeah, busy, expensive January for Villa, and they're not necessarily <laughs> finished yet. It'll be very interesting to see how that shakes down. Uh, with, with these signings, I'd quite like some results because we're down in 14th at the moment all of a sudden. I mean, we're, we're still within touching distance of kind of 8th where I'd like us to see a ninth or 8th or something. So I'd like some results. But this is not a Villa podcast, so let's not dwell on Villa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I reported, I, I think I put it on Twitter actually last week that the club had decided last week, having ummed and about it and, and looked at the pros and cons of Dinya, they decided that uh, ideally they won't spend significant money on any left back or sign any left back permanently, certainly to start with, because that would mean that come the summer they have five left backs on the books, which is just ridiculous, let's face it. It's a ri- ridiculous situation that would put them in um, to be playing the, the wages of five different left-backs. So if, if if they're to bring one in from the outside, I think they're trying to do a loan because it then gives them the opportunity to shuffle things around in the summer and have an acceptable number of left-backs at the club. Even if that loan comes with an op- obligation or option to buy, it still gives them the time to trade around the loan uh, without just having... The bodies and the salaries in. So it became clear sort of Thursday, I'd say Thursday last week probably that Dinia to Chelsea just wasn't going to happen. Um, it also was was clear for a while that the the number one choice would be to bring back Emerson. They've had a couple of goes at that Leon. I'm told the player would would be open to coming back. Um, I don't think there's a problem from the players and that's not to say he's knocking down Leon's door asking to leave but I don't think there's a problem from the players end I don't think there's a reticence from the players end I think Leon is the difficulty here um, he's been a key player for them um, that I think Chelsea are looking at options again now I think they've, they've had a couple of goes on Emerson they'll probably look at options and they might well end up going back on Emerson and trying again you know clearly it's going to costs them some sort of compensation fee if they bring him back. Um, and then it's whether they, they actually move on. I'm told Barcelona are willing to loan Dest, which is interesting, because obviously he can cover two positions. He's young as well. He would look like someone who, even when everyone's fit, could have a role in the squad, as, as someone who can fulfil different positions, who's only 21, uh, who could come on a loan with an obligation or an option, depending on how he did. That looks like an interesting possibility. I'm sure there are some they're looking at that I don't know of at the moment, who they might be able to loan in. Um, I would be surprised if they if they could pick one up cheap, maybe, but I'd be surprised if they they signed one permanently. And and as I say, if they if they could, they'd get Emerson back tomorrow. But it's proving tricky.
0: Dan, did you get the push notification MidPod, that Chelsea recalled a left back on, <laughs> from loan? <laughs>
2: Are you talking about the the delay for Kennedy? Is that what yeah. you're trying to like bring in here? No, I mean you're... the club club pushed out mid pod that uh they've
0: recalled a left back on loan, teasing again. Is it Emerson? No, it was Kennedy. So I mean look, you got Kennedy back at the club.
1: No, I'm told Kennedy's not <laughs> come back to to take up a place. And I think Kennedy, if he comes back, is um is to go elsewhere. Exactly. Um the, the thing I thought with Kennedy, I thought laterally on this, I thought, is Kennedy coming back to be loaned to Leon, Leon to help <laughs> exactly. Emerson coming back? And I was told, no, that's that's not the case. That's been too easy. <laughs> yeah, that that was my theory when I first saw it, rather than thinking Kennedy's going to suddenly become left back. But yeah, um, I think as well there's a deadline on when they can call back Dijon Sterling if they do that as well. So that, that should become relatively clear relatively soon whether they would call him back or not but I think if they were going to call him back they'd have already called him back to be quite honest with you
2: do you you think that maybe it's even crazy to think that Tuchel looked at uh, the performance of Hall and said you know what like if we have to go back to the academy it's not going to be so bad because we still have our attacking players who can do a dual duty whether it's uh, Pulisic or Callum Hudson Adoy who've been deputized in the wingback position is he be comfortable enough or no? That's like Tuchel's not even desperate. He
0: even
1: played Ziesch as a wing back. <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think Tuchel's desperate to get one in, and the club are desperate to back Tuchel. I know that. So there's no clash. What I would say is the club probably look at it slightly more philosophically than the coach, which is the case with it, all clubs. And the club actually probably at the back of their heads probably think is it really the end of the world if we don't get one? We've got Marcus Alonso. We're going along okay. We're probably not going to win the league. You know, is it the end of the world if we don't get one? Thomas Tuchel would probably say yes, it is. And like I say, the club will back him on that. Um, But I think there is probably, you know, a a little theory in in Chelsea is they'd rather do nothing than sort of anything because they've been burned on that before. And we've we've shown that with with Lucas Dini. You know, if they were going to do anything, they'd have gone and signed Lucas Dini because Chelsea can afford 25 million pounds and 125 grand a week quite easily.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, All right. Well, Dan, feel feel good?
2: Well, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, at least uh, Chelsea are kicking tires. I mean...
0: (laughs) They're definitely not going to sit on their hands. We know know the club is uh, too many competitions, I think, to continue to skirt by, so... Um we talked on we talked on so already so the midfield is starting to look a little bit better. Um the depth having Ruben back which is good apparently Ngolo Kanté can play through it. Um so just too many, just just bring him in, create depth for Angolo, let him play for another 3 years. That's all we need.
1: Yeah, look, I I mean it's interesting isn't it because I think we'd have been taught... if it wasn't for the injuries to Chilwell and James, we'd have been talking a lot on this pod this month about are they just going to do a midfield? Are they going to do a defender? Are they going to do a Kunde? Are they going to do a Chimeney this, this month? Are they going to do something wild this month? And it's kind of killed all of that, hasn't it? I mean, the the the, the, uh, the sort of priorities have really changed. So everything like that seems to have really been put on the backburn until the summer now. Um, and I do think, you know, a centre-back, it might even be two centre-backs and... A midfielder will be where the sort of real interest lies, will be the real priorities. Not to say there won't be other stuff, but I think it's been fairly clear for a while that they're the other priorities. But whereas maybe at the end of the summer transfer window and two months ago, I thought there was a possibility they'd have tried to get Kunde done this month. Um, probably not now. However, I think that on the nod did uh, not to do one of these deals at some point. They set something up for the summer because that's worked well for them in the past and avoided, meant they've avoided um, sort of costly auctions.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, we've even seen them will announce a signing in January, but they won't be till the rest of the, you know, till the end of the summer type of thing. Yeah.
1: So. Or, or ZH was a February, wasn't he? ZH. You know, do you remember was January. That, yeah, they'd had a transfer ban. Then they got the transfer ban lifted for the January sign, no one everybody criticized him and then in yeah. February announced the signing and he couldn't come yet and it's the edge so you look—you you never know when these things are going to come but I, I do think if someone like Kunde looks like he's going to attract a massive sort of bidding war among clubs even if there's a release clause it, it, if it becomes lo- the likelihood of a bidding war on wages or whatever then Chelsea could try and jump the queue by, by doing something like that
0: yeah all right well we appreciate it as always Matt uh insight is invaluable really appreciate it make sure you're following matt and and checking out his articles uh telegraph is always running deals if you want to get access to to what matt is writing so uh again thanks and um premier league's back this weekend so we've got some some normal fixtures to to look up chelsea versus man city
1: fun just a small one yeah just a small (laughs) one to get us going again
2: yeah chesterfield tottenham and man city you know all all (laughs) levels of competition (laughs)
1: <laughs> We've been working, and then Tottenham up. again. Yep. Yeah, and then Tottenham again. That'll be—I mean—that it's a t- couple of weeks. It really is. It's a good couple of weeks. I'll—I'll I'll enjoy it for sure. And to cause one-year anniversary is nearly upon us as well. That's right. yeah uh Big, big milestones.
0: Well, all right. Uh, we'll be back after the Man City uh, match with the review. As always, Nick we back as well by then. So, again, uh, shout out to Matt for all the help. Uh, but we'll be back after Man City. Again, check your calendars. Don't miss it. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.